independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we have Freedy Johnston. After spending his formative years in the small central Kansas town of Kinsley, population 1,457, Freddie Johnston followed the tried-and-true path of many musicians. He went away to college and then dropped out to chase his dreams. A sign in his hometown had a pair of arrows that pointed in either direction towards New York and San Francisco, and the former became the place Johnston put down his new roots, believing so strongly in his path that he sold part of the family farm to finance his music career. Since then, Johnston has come light years beyond his mythic backstory. His second album, Can You Fly, rightfully earned its way onto many of 1992's best-of lists and earned him accolades from Rolling Stone and Spin. A major label contract followed, and subsequent albums were produced by the likes of Butch Vig and T-Bone Burnett. Johnston's compositions are filled with a keen eye for detail, assured melodies sung in his slightly raspy tenor, and an elegant simplicity that is akin to John Prine's ability to imbue deeper meaning through subtlety and an ever-present humanity. Johnston has certainly earned his title of a songwriter-songwriter, and he continues to make honest and excellent music the old-fashioned way here in the new music paradigm. Welcome to Independence Day, Freddie Johnston. Gee whiz, that's a lot. That's a lot to say there, Joe. I, I, you know, folks don't buy all that, but that's very nice. I do my best. You know, <laughs> I, I want to make sure people know who we're dealing with here. Who uh, I've been light. I've made it light years from Central you have, Kansas. You have made it light years, man. I, I come a light from, years a long way. I come from a rural area, and it can certainly seem like light years, man. I mean, you should you should know as much as anybody. So you know this this backstory. You know, like it seems to me like that's how I, one of the first things I heard about you when I first learned about you around around the Can You Fly time. And it's like this great mythology. Like, how does the mythology of this? I mean, how accurate is it? Does it measure up to the stories we've been hearing for twenty years? <laughs> how does the myth? Oh, I know that's that's a tough one. Well, I can't really uh, I can't really lift a cow with my bare hands over my head. That's not true. You know, it, it is true. I, 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 had, I, I did sell farmland that I inherited to, um, to, to finance Can You Fly. And so that, that myth is, is true. And, and the, uh, you know, the story of me going to New York City um, with uh, no guitar because I pawned the guitar in Lawrence, Kansas uh, for my bus ticket fare is true, too. But I do not recommend any of our young songwriters uh, following my path. You know, I honestly don't. Yeah. I swear, I'm okay now. I'm, I'm good. You know, I love music, and I always have. Like any singer-songwriter, I've had my, uh, you know, it's a path. <laughs> the right. path doesn't always go left or right. It can go up and down. Right. Anyway, it's great. I love music. I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But I swear, if I had a, an 18-year-old son who was going to get into music, I would not be on his side with it, you know, unless he really was already, yeah. like, had it, had it going. I'd be like, son... There's so much. There are so many better people in the world than musicians. That's, more that's more helpful a, people that, that you can you can find a way. Telling all his advice too. He always people ask him like, if I should go into showbiz, and he said, if you oh, if there's anything else any, you think you can any, do, anything, do that. It's just not what you think it's going to be. I can't believe I, I I did that. You know that I I went there and uh, thought I'd just you know make uh, get a job and and make demos and make records. That's quite a risk. You know, it was just—it was very stupid. You know, well, no, I'm not going to say stupid because the kid wasn't who did it. Wasn't stupid. Just very, it's very hopeful. Yeah. I'll say that. You know, you got it. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty impressed by the hope. 
but you see so many people, and I've met so many people for whom it didn't happen, you know. Yeah. And um, yet they still you know, still play music, but uh, that's the scary part of it. Were there <laughs> were there people in your family who said, you know, Freddie, you're in, you're insane? Why? Oh yeah. Why would no, you? No, I, do I really like this? when I sold my farmland, um, it was a bad thing for everyone involved except for me and the record right. label. Um, my mother, I, uh, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a long story, but my mother's passed and my, my parents have passed on. It was my land to, to sell. I had the right, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, um, I wasn't ever going to use it. And frankly, I must say this, you know, that, uh, uh, it was, you know, it was the right thing to do, I feel. But at the time, it wasn't. And I never told my mother, you know, that I'd done it. Oh, my goodness. And t- she found out through reading a Rolling Stone interview. Oh. <laughs> So that's the kind well, of level of the reality well, of it. Look, and, look and, at it this and, way, and though. And she was just very sad, like, "Wow, you, why, you know, why'd you do that?" Like, look well, at it this way: she she read about it in Rolling Stone. That means that well, you had made no, it to Rolling Stone. You had succeeded still, to the point where still. it was a point where she could read it. But yeah, that's not you. You don't want your mom. You don't. You know, moms are are precious. Well, yes, it's just uh, you know, it just this. You wanted to know if the myth is real that I can really, you know. Uh, do all those feats of strength, you know. So yeah, then, but but I, but it is true that I, I'm that foolish guy from the from Kansas who inherited some farmland and and, and sold it uh, to make his record, and it actually worked out. Yeah. Anybody else who's thinking of doing that, good lord, hang on to your land, you know. Yeah. Truly, when I sold the land, I used a broker, a guy there in in Kansas. He couldn't have been more um, disrespectful of me and disparaging of me, and I, I don't blame him. I would be that way too. He was like, "You're selling this land. What for?" I said, "Well, I need the." You know, he was like, "Okay, I'll help you out," but. Did you tell him you were going to New York? No, with the I, didn't money, say, I didn't say that. I didn't say okay. it was going to, you know, but I'm just like, why are you selling it? It's like, well, I need the money. He's like, well, okay, I'll help you yeah. out, kid, but, you know. So, um, you know, that it, it, this, this land, the land that I sold was basically, it was, it was wheat land. And so I was a, uh, when I owned it, I was uh, on welfare from the USDA, from the government. Every year I would get a check to not mm-hmm. grow wheat, generally. Sometimes right. you'd grow wheat, but generally you'd get a check to not grow wheat. Right. So, um, I don't know that I was, I don't feel great about it anyway, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. doing that. But oh, again, man, all I will say, I have now sold an apartment in New York City and I've sold land in Kansas. I, I wish I had them both. Music is like a, it's I like wish an, I had them both. You it's know, like so an addiction ever, or a compulsion almost. Well, we're going to talk about music. I, I, you know, I, I, I would like to talk about music um, because it, it is more than that. I mean, for me, it has been something that is a disease. A, a disease. Frankly, it's a good disease, but... Ever since I was five years old or six years old, I've been obsessed with you know songs songs on the radio. I've been obsessed with obsessed with um, singles, and uh, um, but secretly, you know, just kind of. I've never been a music fan like all my musician friends and all my singer songwriter friends who have who know every single influence that they ha- you know they have all these records. I'm like I only kind of know what you know I heard in the back of my friend's Camaro and what I heard on the radio really. And what I found out, uh, uh, my brain is 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 made for music, you know, even when I was a little kid. I'll just tell my stories. Uh, you know, the, reason, the, the whole purpose of this, I think, is to, I hope I'm talking to some 13-year-old, some 14-year-old, because that's really the person you want to talk to, or some 23-year-old or 23, 33-year-old who feels 13. But, you know, for me, like, I had no choice in the matter. But I somehow didn't address that, you know? I was always a music person, but I didn't play any music. You know, I would think about it. And I would love it, and I would buy records, and and, and I would write little, little um, lyrics, I guess, 
You know, I guess they were lyrics, but but they were kind of little stories. But I would not play an instrument, and I all I could say is like, I don't know what that is. If there's somebody out there who I'm speaking to, maybe they will understand. It's like yeah. it's almost like fear of playing it. You know, I was afraid to start playing it because I loved it so much. And so one day, my my younger brother came home from school. He was younger, you know, than maybe he came home with a guitar. And I was just so jealous. I just right away, I think the next day. Uh, ordered a guitar because I had a little money for my house painting job. This is in 1977 in Kinsley, Kansas. I ordered a guitar through the mail from Delaware uh, stereo distributors just because my brother had one. It's like, oh, this ain't gonna work. You know, you have a guitar. You know, you already played trumpet and so forth. And but he, you know, so I got to do this. So I bought a guitar that day because I what you know I was not gonna give up anymore. I was or not give up any, but I wasn't going to resist it anymore. I was gonna try to do this thing that I listened to. And it came in the mail, no case, an ovation guitar, salad bowl guitar, you know. Um, it really is very true. This is not, a, this, this, it's a sunny day in Kinsley, Kansas. The UPS guy comes uh, on Saturday and comes, and it's a beautiful sunny morning and he steps out of the back with a coffin-shaped box. And of course my guitar's in that. And I just didn't expect it to come in a coffin-shaped box, you know, and that is, you just can't make that up. It's hilarious, you know. Yeah. It came in his coffin, and and my mother was so disappointed to see that happen. You know, she. I remember her saying, "Like, what's that?" It's like, "Oh, that's a guitar I bought." You know, I was like, what do you mean? Where'd you get the money? It's like three hundred bucks or something. You know, I was like, yeah. well, I've been painting houses for Jimmy. You know, like, what are you gonna do with it? Like, well, I'm gonna learn how to play. It was just like, what? Yeah. What's this thing? You know? Yeah. And it really was. I. I mean, she was happy about it, but not really that happy about it. Yeah, yeah. Then fast forward, honestly, you know, fast forward, um, I guess, 17 years later, which is a good time, I guess. That's a, it's, not, it's not 10 years, but then 17 years later, after getting that guitar, I was able to um, pay for her to come see me, to put her, put her on a plane for the first time, you know. She was 65 years old, put her on an airplane for the first time to come see me open up for Sheryl Crow in Chicago. You know, the greatest thing I ever did, I feel like. When yeah. I had my mom come, my whole family, it was like, really? You're going to buy us all tickets? You know, it's just, and honestly, I'll say this, you know, of course they all got trashed beyond belief from Kansas. My mom was escorted out of the bar. Heck yeah, but we still had a good time. And and I was able to pay for it and be like, I mean, I've never, that's like the most heroic moment of my life kind of you know yeah so, yeah. so i want to i want to share that with the people because i've never really talked about that but yes it was 17 year it was a 17 year gap between me getting the guitar uh and ups to being able to actually say wow i actually am doing okay but then we talked about it earlier off the mic when i was opening up for cheryl crow i was the uh, after my after after other people who you know i was the luckiest guy in yeah. show business yeah, and uh, and I know I just I was the luckiest guy in the world, and I wasn't ready for it, you know. Of course, it's water under the bridge. Cheryl's such a great, you know, uh, a fan and friend. You know, she had me out there, but it's like I don't know how to act. It's worked out pretty well for you because here you are, twenty years later, still full time music. Yeah, you know, you know eking exactly. out. I mean, you you've you've been around the world, I'm you keep making so records. Fortunate. So fortunate. Yeah, so Absolutely. let's let's hear a little bit of something yeah. from this. This is your most recent record. This came out in 2010. I know you're working on something brand new. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little bit about yeah. that. I know it's not out yet. You're still kind of in the in the in the working phases there, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is from the record uh, Rain on the City. It's the title track from that record. It's Freedy Johnson on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong and uh, tune in every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock Pacific time. Tonight's guest, Freedy Johnston. 
down on the people in the street Rain on the window from far out in the land Rain come down to rest in my hand As a couple opens one umbrella And goes along their way There's a guy with bags looking for a cab And it is not his day Running to the corner A girl with flowers Hair down in her face And everybody's trying to get away Tears come on down And join the falling rain Go back to the place You know it's hard in the city And this place gets so cold Rain, can I go with you when you go? There's an empty bed, a broken desk A temporary home and then I heard And it won't leave me alone We'll go walk the streets You and me Follow me in the gutter We are going down to the river Rain on the city down a peaceful sound and rise up with the sun we will gather there up in the air and fly over everyone we collide and change and fall again on some city day and help somebody
go. You know, that song um, is a very specific song, I will say now, after having written it years ago. It's a story, and I don't want to be, you know, too much that guy, but it's about uh, 9-11. And because uh, I, li- I live in, in New York, you know, and I, I was there on 9-11, and um, I never knew how to express my feelings about it, you know? Um, and I wrote this song, and I successfully n- never told anybody what it was about. But now just hearing it, it's like I want to say that, that the guy in that song is so brokenhearted and is going to the river to jump off because of that. Because And that is the real, that's because every song has a little key in it maybe that people don't you know, know how to open the last door, you know, to under, for the meaning. But that is what that song is about. I don't want to be coy about it anymore. I'm so glad I waited till now to say that because I don't have anything to say about 9-11. Yeah. Good, good God! Are you kidding me? What I mean, what it's I'm it's, just talking what hasn't about. Been said. I'm just talking about as as a setting for a song, because it was very very real to me, and uh, it's very very real to anybody who was either alive. killed or or certainly alive. If you lived in the city, you know, it was very real, and so it had to come out in the music somehow, right? But it wasn't going to come out in a way that I could. Uh, I felt like I could ever get away with. And yeah. so the but the song it it came out on its own. Of course, that's what happens, you know. And I don't know we could we could segue into that if you want, but you know, the idea of how where songs come from and what they are, you know, it's it's a combina- it's like science. It's a combination of really a really common sense intuitive stuff and 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 uh, 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 and, and a complete mystery. You know, and and, and the two have to have to go uh, side by side with the song, you know, so I can say, well, yeah, you got an idea and you got a good melody and you go ba da ba da ba But then there's another thing. It's like that that other 10% of the song, well, I don't know where that came from, you know? Yeah. That, and so it is, um, as I was saying before, you know, my brain was just always attuned to it and, and was writing little, what I would do in, in my, I was, I would listen to songs on, on my 8-track or, you know, wherever I, and I would imagine I was, I was the guy. You know, I would imagine I was like Steely Dan. I used to call him Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, it's like Steely Dan. It's not a guy, Freddy or Fred. Fred's not a guy. I said, well, you know, I would always get the lyrics wrong. I was the guy when I was a kid. I'd be singing along in the back of the the, of the Camaro. You know, we'd smoking weed, driving around. Not really a Camaro, but let's imagine it was. It wasn't that nice. It's better memory if it's, it's a, a Camaro. Better memory, and I'd always be singing the wrong lyrics. Here I am, like a songwriter, but I can never really understand what, what they were singing. I always, I'd always make it more, just like, why, why are you singing that for? You know, just I don't know why. I and I would, I would not why, know why I was singing. It. It's he's obviously saying, yeah, I love you, baby. Why are you singing? You know, come see me, maybe. It's like you know, I would just get the, the words wrong, and I never could figure out that it was very embarrassing for me. I, I, and, and so now that I'm a songwriter, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. It, mu- it must be like being dyslexic and being a writer, you know? Do you think that maybe that was your developing writer? I don't know. What I was is I was always assuming that what they were saying was far more profound than what it was. Okay. I always assumed it was like, but then, you know, to the other end of that, because I was a big Steely Dan fan because of the lyrics, and well, because of the first record, which is, you know, a great classic record, but those lyrics were so, you know, vague and arch and basically inside that I didn't want to do that either. You know, for me, honestly, the, the, the guy that I first understood and I, and I don't, it was the, you know, Elvis Costello, the first Elvis Costello record. I would say that, but those songs were, were finally something that like, Oh, I get that. You know, I can do that. 
I understand what he's trying to go for, you know. Um, you know, it wasn't Bob Dylan or it wasn't even Neil Young, who I love so, come on, Neil Young, literally a deity, you know. Bob, like deities. Like if they walked in the room, even though they're just regular dudes, they would be so upset about it. It was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Deity, I can't even talk to you. But I met Pete Townsend. I met Pete Townsend. You know, a lot of people have. He's the greatest, one of the greatest living gods. You know, you know there's Paul. I'm a, obviously a classic rock guy. But when I met Pete years ago, I will say this. I was very, very honored that Pete knew my song. He knew my song, you know, Bad Reputation. Unbelievable. I couldn't, I didn't want to meet him in the first place. I was pulled up to him like, here, meet Mr. Townsend. It's like, oh, hi. yeah, Freedy wrote that song, Bad Reputation. Oh, great song, mate. Like, you know, as the pee was coming down my leg, I said, well, you're just, you're just a, you know, you're a God. You're a God. Yeah. And he said, I know, you know, Freedy, that's right. You know, and I've been, my, my buddy Danny Lane, so said, you know, Pete, you're a God. You just got to learn to be a deity. Learn to be a deity. I believe those are the words he used. You, know, you just got to learn to deal with it. He was laughing about it because he knows he is a God. Yeah. I really think that's kind of true in a way. Like, you see the making of who's, of who's next. You see Pete you know, being interviewed then and currently realize, man, I don't even know. Well, I'm on the same planet with that guy, you know? Yeah. He's just so amazing. I, I love my job. I'm learning more about my job every day and realize, oh God, what a strange, deep sea of music it, there is out there. The only way I could ever have gotten going was my, my unbelievable callow belief that I, I was writing some kind of song that only I could write, you know? Like in 1992, I was like, you know, forget this. I, I will uh, do my own kind of thing, you know? And that's just the only way you can do that is not you don't know what you're doing it's such an interesting art form that we participate in because the 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 dinosaurs the guys who invented it i mean we uh, we were mentioning ralph stanley earlier as we were setting up in here today he's alive you know he's one of the guys i mean uh, uh, bill monroe invented bluegrass but ralph stanley was pretty much there at the time and well, sure the guys you know and and you know half the, the guys who are still half the beatles are still alive. Three quarters of Led Zeppelin are still alive. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the Who are still alive. And you know we're in this era where we're all participating in this medium, classic rock, call it what you want. But I mean, there was a time, uh, you know, Patterson Hood from Drive By Truckers always talks about the time when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and that were these bands. Well, you know, I'm not. I I don't want to reference Elvis Presley in a, in any way that will make people turn the station because that seems to be you know. You know, I don't want to be that 51-year-old guy that's talking about Elvis Presley, but I am. You know, when you see footage from the one year of 1956, when he turned 21 in January, he was completely, you know, at least for the, you know, for the big pop white audience, he was just like, what the heck is that, you know? He was complete rock and roll. Or, or you talk about where music, cho you know, it chooses to, what conduits or, or leaks it chooses to come out of. Like it comes out of Tom Petty, you know, music comes out of Tom Waits, you know, or Chrissy Hines. It's like, it's just anything they do. Neil Young, like tuning up, he sounds great, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's something that's kind of obvious, yeah. I think. It's not like someone, let's, let's think, you know, like someone who just became a great songwriter at the age of 60, you know? It doesn't seem like you can really, if I'm, I hope I'm not sounding too, I hope I'm sounding honest. It's like something you can learn. It's like, I like to draw. And I can draw it at a certain level, but I'm only going to be at that level that I can really draw at. You know what I mean? Right. So like, I only be able to write songs at that level I can really write at, like really apprehend the world at. 
and maybe you get there when you're 20 and you always let, you know, and then you get a little technically more proficient at it and learn, it makes more sense. But as far as capturing, you know, what the song's supposed to be, it's, it doesn't seem like it's always changed. When I listen to old songs, all these, we're talking about songs that are 20 years old. It's like, wow, that's a really good job, young Freedy of 20 years ago. You got the whole hook there. You didn't know what songs to write, but as far as the actual writing, it's, like, it's not any different than now, you know? Yeah. And so I'm, I must say that I don't know if I make any sense. <laughs> but, you know, because of course I'm a much better guitar player and I understand music better, but I don't know if I understand actually making a song better. Yeah. Like, like, okay, now one, two, three, four, you know, beat, chords, emotion, you know, it. that is something that is, uh, uh, I, I use the same. Uh, uh, the same powers always for that, you know? And I don't know you're, if, that's, if that's expandable. You you're, know? you're being, you know, it's, you're being very humble and self-deprecating well, about, no, no. about this talent. I, I, it never occurred to me before until this morning when I was listening to your music and doing a write-up about it that you, you have something in common with John Prine, Tom Petty, these guys who write, um, it's simple, but it's an elegant simplicity. You have a way of cutting out stuff or leaving out stuff and like giving, getting right to the detail of something that's simpler than it sounds on the surface or, or it's deeper than it sounds oh, on the man. surface is what I mean. And that's, that's one of the things I've always liked so much about your writing. That's very nice. To hear, you know, I'm gonna, I thank you for that. I appreciate that. I think that uh, those two guys are just, you know, the greatest of the greats and they, I've learned you know everything. Everything I know from yeah, you know, the guy or guy and guys like them. I could always and, draw a line from you to Petty more easily, but, but like Prine never occurred to me. Well, Prine's a, I mean, he's great. You know, he's great, great artists here. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm still kind of a punk. You know, but I just will say that the songs, as far as I know, man, as far as I know, I know the songs come from my brain. But once they are, once they appear, they usually appear in a you know on a, 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 I use my iPhone, you know, to, to record the voice memos. But before that, on mini cassettes. Or cassettes, which I have many still, all of them still in a, in a plastic box, you know, that I go back to yeah. from 20 years ago. And I remember every time that I was making that that 3 a.m. demo or whatever, you know, like, and it'll be a whole song in my I'll remember right away everything about what I wanted to do. And the song will come out as a new song. I just wrote, I finished a song just last week. The music was from a, a demo that I found from uh, 84, 85. I remembered completely what I wanted to do at that time. I'm like, oh, I could even see the rooms. Like, oh yeah, oh, that song. And started working on it now in 2012, you know? And I really, when I, I, I really, really, from the day that I was working on it in 84, it's kind of like just keep, it was a continuation. And I, let's say to, to the songwriters out there, that kind of freaked me out. Yeah. That it, that it really lingers that long in such a, clear and coherent form in my neurons, you know? Because I remember every little, like, oh, I remember I wanted to do it about, uh, it was, it was going to be about a, 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 about a lonely girl or something, you know? It's like, I, I remember things about the song once I hear the demo tape, you know? Like, you can hear the room and Lawrence Kansas and so forth. You know, it just amazes me how um, that idea for a song, it's, it reminds me of, like, spilling red wine on a white carpet, which I do have a white carpet at home, and I do drink red wine. I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. Ask my girlfriend Christy, but once the idea for the song is done, you can't you couldn't possibly change it. Interesting. Couldn't possibly, and it comes to you from somewhere, but you can't change the, you know, what it's trying to do. I have five hundred and eighty-seven. I call them song seeds. At one point, that's that's how many I had when I switched a from lot. a micro cassette recorder 
to lot, well that's when i switched well i mean you know some of them are just little bits here some of them are expansions on a prior thing but i i did that from college until the micro cassette recorder became obsolete and i got a phone that i or like a little electronic device i could do that on and i cataloged them them all and wow. and i still like i sometimes i'll put them on random like if i'm trying to write something because I, I had to digitize all of them, which was the biggest pain in the ass in the entire I'm world. I'm impressed by that. But I and I still go back though. Like, sure. there's something. Oh, it's so valuable. When I when I I was uh, when I was moving, that was one box I definitely definitely wanted to keep track of. Oh yeah. You know, it's like well, I don't want to lose these scratch tapes. I just, in fact, I just recently, I will say this for the record, being a lifelong Apple user, I've given them at least thirty thousand dollars since 1990. 91 or so, probably thirty to $40,000 in gear, right? iTunes is the most dangerous, awful software, you know? So I almost lost all my voice memos oh in, my in doing my, I thought I did, you know, in up, upgrading my software the other day. Thank the stars. They It somehow, without telling me, thank you, iTunes, you know, sent them off to a place. So they were there, you know, they, it, 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 it backed them up. I'm now very, very, uh, 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 very worried about, you know, I'm not worried. I'm very conscious of downloading and backing up from my iPhone because I had 25 ideas on there from night all the way back to uh, 09. They only existed in one, one spot. Right. And I go back to them all the time, like you say. It's, it's too, it, it, was, it was touch and go there. I was very scared. The moral of the story, back up. Always, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Always back up, and let's let's play some live music here. We've set up Molly's mobile studio in an apartment in uh, in, in the Hollywood it's a, Hills well, here. It's technically a bungalow. It's a so bungalow. It, yeah, up here in West Hollywood, in the, the whiskey, and it's uh, our friend Wally Ingram's house. He and his wife Lori have loaned it to us. They loaned it to us when we come to town here. It's good to have good friends. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what what have you got for us here, Freddie? I would well, love I've to got know. a lot of songs. I, I don't know. I mean, um, I do have uh, a new record, Neon Repairman. That is, uh, it's in the mixing stage. A couple overdubs to do. Should be out in the spring, you know, early spring. And um, I just did that here in uh, August, September, here in, here in LA. This song I will play is, um, is very topical, and that's why I want to play it first then. It's, um, it does happen sometimes that songs come out that are about real issues, and uh, you, have to say, you have to just go with it. This song, I thought it was about me when I first wrote it. Um, it's called A Little Bit of Something Wrong, and it's uh, about a, a, a returned veteran, you know, a damaged returned veteran uh, from, you pick your war, you know, uh, from Iraq or uh, Afghanistan, and, because we all read about it all the time, and I'm just amazed about it. Or she watched the documentary, just amazed about these guys, you know, the kids. I meet them at shows even. Like, hey, Freddie, I like that song. Uh, a little bit of something wrong. You know, this smiling 20-year-old kids. Yeah, I just did two tours in Iraq. You know, I'm just going back. It's like, you just did two tours in Iraq. You know, you're like a 20-year-old kid with a beer in your hand smiling. That just doesn't make any sense at all, you know, to me. doesn't. So I wrote this song. <laughs> um, it just it came out that way. It, I didn't intentionally intend to write about this topic. With my head on straight You know things can go just great 
But when my head's on wrong You'll be singing a different song I got a wife and kid But I'm supposed to stay away from them Back long, I got a little bit of something, a little bit of something, a little bit of something wrong. You know, I saw the others running for cover, and that's the last thing I know. Well, my old sick. Dad. He said you just gotta be a man And though he's been through hell You know he just don't understand When the night closes in It all comes back again Till dawn, I got a little bit of something, a little bit of something, a little bit of something wrong. You know, I saw the others bloody in the gutter, and that's the last thing I know. Excuse me, but I'm sorry. But what was your name, please? And could you just sign for these? Cause you got a lot of people to see But I've seen a man's insights Against a clear blue sky and when your head's blown off It's like you're really, really gone And you're never coming back no more And you can't believe it What it's like to see Your own hands on the floor I got a little bit of something A little bit of something A little bit of something wrong you know I left my brothers back there in the gutter And I didn't even make it home That was Freedy Johnston on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. Uh, you can learn everything you need to know about Freedy at FreedyJohnston.com. And that's F-R-E-E-D-Y-Johnston.com. And you can learn everything about our website or our, our show here, our little radio program at Indepday, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. We've got all these shows archived. You can go back and check them out, especially with this guy who I'm sitting with here, Freedy. It's an oh, honor geez, thanks, honor to sit here with you, man. And that's, that's great. Uh, I love, you're seeing more and more of this now, um, 
You know how like in the 70s, that was the, like in, into the eight, actually more like the 80s, that was like the Vietnam War movie era. You know, that was when the, the wounds from that conflict started to show up in our art. And I think, was it The Hurt Locker maybe was the first movie to really deal with our current seemingly never-ending conflicts to really reach people on a wide scale. It was, but you know, there have been uh, documentaries, there were documentaries before, the, before right. then. And, and, you know, uh, which, taxi, which are, are, was it Taxi to the Dark Side? Yeah, Res Restrepo. Restrepo. And they, they show you as much, you know, more and more, really. Right. Because the, the Hurt Locker was Hollywood still. Um, but you're right, there was, it's, it can't help but come out. Right. And you referenced September 11th before, and like, you know, Springsteen was quick to the punch with uh, The Rising, but that was a healing record. I think, you know. Well, it's Bruce Springsteen, yeah. You know, you want Bruce to come and do a song like that. I remember when I heard the song, I was really very moved by it. You which, know? which song is this, this? The Rising. The Rising. You know, I must say it's not, I mean, it's, it's not my favorite Bruce song. You know, I got that. I got Bruce. Yeah, that's it's Bruce freaking Springsteen. Right, you know, he is really he is again another a deity. So you, he's a spokesman. He, he should he, right. he, he should do a song called you know a record called The Rising. I'm really glad he did. I don't know, I don't honestly remember what the songs what the songs the theme was other than we're gonna rise up. You know, yeah. Well, it was it was just an overall theme of healing, which healing, yeah. he was the first guy because it was not that long after really quick, the yeah. event where you know for him, you know, but he was so visceral. I mean, you're a New York guy too, but he was so visceral, oh, man, Bruce. Yeah, and he was right there, and it, it kind of stumbled out. And I think we needed that healing, but now it's different. Like we reference the documentaries as well, which of course you know I, I love documentaries that come out. We learn about things that we wouldn't hear otherwise. But what's happening now? John Hyatt, his most re he's just released a new record, but then he released one. He's on a tear right now. He released one just about a year and a half ago. And he had a September 11th song on that record too. And I'm starting to hear, if it's about 10 years now or so, I'm starting to hear from more and more artists where they're feeling okay, they're comfortable with expressing these types of things, these complex feelings that everyone dealt with in the aftermath of such a, a country-changing event, changed our society. So it's interesting to hear your take on this as well. And I'm, well, it's not really a take on it, like Bruce's song was a, a you know, it, came, it, it was it was a, a time to help people. You know, mine just came out because it came out. And yeah. Maybe John Hyatt's also. Maybe it took that long, you know, for it to kind of distill out or even feel like you had you had the right to even say anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the song has its own committee. You know, so it has its own schedule and so forth. Um, but it's 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 happening now. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, in yeah. in the art, you know, people. Uh, there seems to be a time where you don't really touch it. That was the way it was with the Vietnam era. Like it took a little while. Like when it was when it had just ended in the mid seventies, it was too raw. You know, people couldn't approach that. It was too real in our society. And now, like you said, we've got these. You know, you, there's a character in that song, or more than one. Uh, we've got a whole generation of young people who are coming back where that's their reality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of them there will all bear. We all bear psychological scars, but not none so much as those who were there. You know, went overseas to be the tip of our spear you know whether it's for right or wrong reasons uh but now we've got this whole generation and how are they going to react 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road how's it going to affect their art we're a little older than their generation i'm really really curious to see what's going to happen there's we're kind of in that lull period for them like for us now it's coming out but for them it will be coming out at some point mm -hmm. um and i'd be very very curious to see what happens there it will be you know i agree 
And man, we've gotten way off into the weeds talking about all kinds of really heavy, weighty topics. But I guess that's what art does for us as a society. It's it's how we heal, how we process, how mm-hmm. we reach other people with something um, that they may not have actually been there. Because you know, all those songs you write, anybody write as a writer, they take the artistic license. They, you know, Tom Waits we reference. You know, other people may not have been a one-armed carny on a wharf in 1930. But when you listen to Tom Waits, you're right there with that. You know, and he takes you all these different. It's like reading a book in real time. So, uh, about uh, another live tune. What do yeah, you got? Yeah, the new for? Tom Waits record. You know, uh, one of his definitely one of his top five records. You know, yeah. top three records almost after he, Rain, Rain Dogs. You know, and one of my all time favorites. Great artist. Uh, uh, it's just so inspiring to see that too. You know, you, know you can do and the new Doctor John record, one of the greatest records of his career. Yeah. You know, so imagine who who could put out a, a new yeah. record that could just blow. Well, the new Neil record. Come on. Yeah. Who do we have? Who do you think we have from this generation that was going to have staying power? That's, I mean, you can never really tell, but like, just pretend you have a crystal ball, you know, because there's this people who are doing, you know, YouTube to me feels like the last, like they were the first of the new generation of dinosaurs. And we talked about all those classic rock bands because there wasn't that much time that separated them from the Stones and the Who and the Beatles and Zeppelin. But who do you think's around now that'll stick around? Oh, man, I don't know if I'm the guy to ask. You know, there must be other artists on this bill, on these bills. And every now and again, you know, I'm the same way. Like, I'll be out playing shows, and you hear a million artists when you're playing, and you tend to almost tune it out a little bit because it's 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 overload. But every now and again, you'll hear someone and be well, like, you know, "Oh, like when I played the last the, this last year with the, uh, uh, last summer with Lucinda." You know, every single song is a is a just a. I don't even know all of her songs, of course, but I know, I'd heard it, every one I'd heard. You know, yeah. and it was just classic and just so so solid. It's as if you know, they yeah. always existed. It's always existed. So she is, she's been undeniable for a long time, you know, kind of unassailable. You know, I'm so proud of Alejandro for, for um, you know, he can't, you know, that, that gives you great hope too. You know, here's a guy. Escovedo is yeah, what we're talking yeah, about. Alejandro Escovedo, yeah, you know, he's five years or so older than me, I guess, or so, but he's at the top of his career, you know, and he's just rocking hard and he's survived, you know, some illness and, uh, Matthew Sweet, I've always loved. You know, love to see him. You know, I saw uh, love, you. Love to see him in the in the in the papers all the time. I saw you open for Matthew Sweet in Chicago. Yeah, we did a couple tours 90s. together in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he was, uh, uh, it was a couple record, the record after two records after uh, Girlfriend, I think. Yeah, I mean, he cycled kind of in and out of my world a few times. Like I bumped into him here and there in different places. He lives out here, I think. He lives in L.A. Sure, he lives. Yeah, not he's, too he's far. An LA not, guy. not too terribly far from where we are right now. Anyway, how about us? How about a live song? Well, I guess so. Um, if we must, I was going to do a new song from the record, but it has a cuss word in it, so I'm not going to do that. I'll play it because it's a different feel, and it is a song on the new record, and it's a specific song about song, uh, singer songwriters and cars. I had an Audi station wagon, and uh, that was my my band car, and I had that until it died. You know, I, had, I bought it new for ten years, and it died in the um, 2010. Nashville flood. It was sitting down at my buddy Ed's house waiting for repairs, waiting for me to make enough money to repair it, and the flood came and washed away my car. So uh, I, I, I wrote a song around that time. Down, I was, took a trip down to New Orleans with my friend Mac, and I started writing this song. We, we'd been just partying outside all day, you know. We went back, took, you know, back to the house and passed out woke up in the middle of the night and this song came out called Sentimental Heart and it's about a guy's car breaking down and about how he just has to keep going uh, it's, it's so anyway it's it, it, uh, not enough talk that's, that's the song 
Are there any hearts left to break? Is there any sh** left to take? Is there any lie ain't been told? Any story not getting old? Remember when you had a sentimental heart? You had a sentimental mind And then you sold it for the parts And now you're on the highway Sitting in the right lane This goddamn thing Tried it again and again And it isn't gonna start And you're gonna have to walk Whoa, whoa Is there any love on the grill? Any dreams running round to kill? Outside of Memphis and the car has died Me and a guitar looking for a ride Remember when you had a sentimental heart You had a sentimental mind You better find a spare part Walking on the highway is good for the heart Baby, headed for the lights Hey, you still got time, but you're gonna be a little bit late And it's gonna go great Whoa, whoa Whoa, whoa Remember when you had a sentimental heart You had a sentimental mind You better find a spare part You really need a shoulder You better move it over The people driving by Hey, you know we're alike Cause we ain't never gonna stop La-da-dee-dee-da You're never gonna stop The sentimental heart You're never gonna stop La-da-dee-dee-da You're never gonna stop The sentimental heart Freddie Johnston on Independence Day. So very happy to have him on our show tonight. Brand new music, and this is a new record due out. Do you, is there? A, you know, you're mixing. You said is there a release date set up for this already? Well, um, no, there's there's not. Um, you know that that is a topic we can we can address because uh, it's different now. Yeah, out, you know, it's very very different, and that's that's the. That's one thing I really would like to get into for a few minutes here is, you know, at one point you, uh, you, know, you were on Elektra, you know, major record label deal, you know, they had charted hits and, and it was like the old paradigm, at least to a certain extent. Well, I, I think that, that, again, I will say this if it, if it helps, that I'm aware that I was very fortunate and I'm also aware, if anybody's listening to this, that I, you know, didn't know that I was so fortunate. I'm right. just, I really am actually saying that, you know, it's like, I know that I, that I got a really great ride, man. And um, 
So that did happen. I've, you know, people have said to me like, man, I think you were one of the last guys that got that ride, you know? And to hear that from, again, for me, like I had an office job in 1992. It's just very, I, I just sometimes wake up in the night shivering thinking how fortunate I was. I'm out the road with Susan Cowsell and John D. Graham. You know, we're talking about, they're talking about, oh yeah, I made a record in 84. 84? Well, you know, I was like, I was a dishwasher. Yeah. And and Susan, forget it, man. She's like, uh, yeah, I made this you know, record in 69, you know, with, uh, I was on, sitting on Johnny Cash's knee in 1969 on TV. So forget it. I'm really very fortunate and very recently into this, but, to answer your question, yes, I got a hell of a ride. Yeah. And um, it still is great. People like know f- the name Freedy Johnston. I just hope that I can back it up with the work that I do, like, you know, the new songs I played and so forth. Because that's very important to me to not be thought of as that little Midwestern guy who got a lucky break. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, I want to I wanna be able to say, well, you know, I got a break because I, I had, you know, I, I worked hard and I had, had something to offer. Yeah, and what's you know? but what's different about? I mean, that, that was the, what I was getting at with this question: is what's different about the paradigm now? Like, well, what what's better uh, about it? Maybe I don't know. There's still a there's still a machine. Come on, there are people who who are making records and you know and and putting out vinyl LPs and and playing guitars and drums. You know, it's like it's pretty kind of much the thing that I always did. It's marketed though completely differently, and it's. It's sold differently, you know, but the actual writing the song and getting on stage is just not even different at all, you know, in any way at all. Right. And, 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 and even writing songs is like, it's not, I mean, I've heard a lot of great new songs, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to completely change my thing now, you know, um, it would maybe happen if I hear a Cole Porter song or something, you know, but what I do hear that's very different is just the incredible complexity and high quality of records because all the capacity you had in a 24-track, $1,000-a-day studio in 1990 now is on your laptop. And so if you have the time, you can make a masterpiece, which I, you know, I, listen, I listen to online radio all the time. That's all I really listen to, I must say. I listen to college radio online or I listen to you know, WKCR you know, things like that. I'm an FUV fan. FUV, of course. Love you know? the FUV. And so I, but I, honestly, I hardly ever know who I'm hearing. There's sometimes, you know, I hear some, but I know that it all sounds amazing. It sounds incredible. Like, I really get it what it would be like, say, to be, you know, 45 or so, like in 1965, and be like, a, you know, like an Elvis fan and stuff, and, and then all of a sudden all this new stuff's happening. You're like, oh, and what are you gonna do? It's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I ain't gonna put on tie dye, you know. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, I feel like, um, I I feel like I understand what that's like, generation generationally to be, you know, to see kids coming up and like not even understand what they're doing, even though it's a similar kind of music. Right. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, you know, um, make records like that. And some of the songs are, are it, you know, it's the sweet type. Songwriting of you know part after part after part, it's fascinating to me. Really, it's like wow, the kids have really taken the ball and run with it. You know, couldn't be happier. I just know that I do my little thing, and I've got to know where the chords are going to end up. I got to know what's happening at the end of the song, and by the end, by three and a half minutes, we better be done with this, or you know, we got to move on. Yeah, and that's completely 
I was, you know, it's like, oh, that's so cute, Grandpa. I'm so glad you still like doing that. You know, that's a great format for you guys. It's kind of easy to understand. To yeah, keep yeah. Read linear. You know? Yeah, yeah, really good for you guys just to keep it simple, you know. So so that's just, you know, that's the world we're in now. But in terms of, I mean, not just the recording of music itself, like, you know, now uh, how much, to what extent are you managing your own career now? I mean, not to, <laughs> not to say that you, like, you had handlers and, you well, know, attendants in a posse and all. I want to be really honest. I mean, I am a very fortunate guy. You know, my girlfriend Christy really helps me. Uh, but I, um, you know, I, I'm not an electric anymore. I haven't been an electric for 12 years now. And uh, so I've been a guy in a car with a guitar and a computer, you know, and uh, a booking agent. So I do my job and I really love it. I really love making records every couple of years. I certainly did take a break there when I got married and divorced, you know, that took about six or eight years, but uh, that'll happen. And you just got to do it. And it, and nobody got hurt, and everybody's still friends, you know. But, but the um, the responsibility for your career now that one has is honestly not. You know, it's cool. I I I just don't know that it's it's not something I ever wanted to get into. When I when, uh, uh, first started getting music, I never wanted to even have a computer, you know. So that's not for me. It's not something that comes naturally at all. It's like I don't want to go talk to the people, Christy. Like, go on the Facebook and talk to the people. I don't want to talk to the people, you know. And so that's a, a new thing, you know. But you got to do it. There's no choice. There's no choice in the matter. And uh, and I, I when I see people doing like I see Daryl Hall on Facebook, it's like yeah, it's it's so different and great now. You know, you can walk up, talk to anybody now. I guess you know can, you're you're great. You know, Todd, Todd Rundgren. You know, you can. Send of a, a Facebook message. Wow, you know I love that so much. Yeah, it really. I guess that's the real thing that I think is interesting about that. It allows you uh, because things have kind of, like you said, there's people doing the big music thing, the Lady Gagas of the world and the Katy Perrys of the world. But there's so much middle ground now. There's so much real estate between like the bottom of that beast and then like the people who aren't like, the hobbyists. Oh, are you talk, talking about uh, uh, in the, the actual biz? Yeah, in yeah. the business. Artists who are doing what you're doing. Like a guy, I have so many friends who are professional, full-time musicians, and what they do is if they're not on the road, uh, which is, means they're driving. Even when they're driving, though, they're, on the, they're on their phone setting up the next thing. They're their own promoter. They're their own booking guy. They are their own producer, their own business manager. Um, you know, so it's, it's empowered us as people to do these things, but it also has meant that it's a lot more responsibility as well. It's a lot more responsibility, which for some people like me, it just really can be uh, paralyzing. And uh, yet, I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to get better at it. But it, it's not something that I, like, who's an example? Who's somebody you must know? I mean, just pulls it off, you know, always doing stuff and da 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 And, oh, I got this gig booked. And it's like, for me, it's like I am the guy that gets up at 5 a.m., you know, in the dark with my guitar, you know, and, my, and write songs. And then the rest of the day, uh, you know, afternoon or so, you like, you know, go have to go do stuff and, you know, do your day, do your day and have and, a life, have a life. But I am a, a otherwise a recluse and that's not a good place to, to, uh, to, you know, mentally be if you're, if you're going to be, you know, a, a performer. And so that's always been, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this kind of in a, I'm trying in a semi humorous way, you know, cause I, like I say, I'm pretty glad to be to be doing it and I'm very lucky and yeah. life couldn't be better. Do you really get up at five o'clock in the morning to oh, write songs? Oh God, yes. Oh no, I, five is like, because I'm, I've always been there. I'm from Kansas, you know, so the farmer genes I'm sure are, are, are in me. But five to, you know, you know, after five, five to five, but definitely four sometimes, you know, 
but then I go to bed at nine. <laughs> so, so it's like, and, 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 and Christy doesn't really, you know, who would, who gets that? You know, it's just like, yeah. it's a, but I, I steadfastly stand by it. That's my, that's my schedule. When I work like tonight, I'm playing Molly Malone's, you know, I'm going to take a five hour energy and I'm going to just kind of mentally plan to be up. And once I'm up, I'm up. But otherwise, like, I love going to bed at yeah, night. Because this is, uh, this is West Coast for you, which is three hours different. So if you're playing yeah. at nine, that's like going on a midnight for you, essentially. Well, yeah, we've been here a couple of days. I've acclimated. But, uh, okay. the, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it is different. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a whole lot of other songwriters. I was telling you on the introverse chorus side, I'm writing and I'm trying to write a thing for them. And I read so much on that site, what other songwriters say. And we all say the same thing. You know, it's like, it's good to hear, but it's like, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I got a chord idea at three in the morning and I wrote it down and I tried to finish it, try to finish it now. Good thinking, you know. It just, within that, there's a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds easy, but I get really, um, the more I do it, like just finishing, a, you know, I finished a song last week. I actually am surprised that I can in a way enjoy it more. It is like a darn, I'm trying to use the, not a cusser, it's a darn battle. It's a knife fight sometimes with these songs because they often don't want to get done. They don't, they don't want to be finished. And uh, I was staying at the Cecil Hotel downtown, you know, in September, writing songs to finish the record. And I felt like I was in a, in a $50 hotel room having a knife fight with a song. And I was, it's like, what is that line? What do you want? You know, what is the line? You tell me, song. And it, out of frustration, it came in a way. It's like I just had to like, you know, and not real frustration, but it didn't come from just walking around the block whistling. You know, it came from really looking at the piece of paper saying, what, what? So you're, you you're, a, you're a diligent like worker at it, it I just can't like. imagine singing a song where you don't know every single thing you're going to say or I, I just, I've always, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I've been doing it now, I've uh, written 80 songs that I've really worked hard on. You know, you know, it's like, there's a way I do it. Like the song has a tone and an attitude and a language, a vocabulary of its own, and it has certain holes that have to be filled. I just finished a song for this record. It's called TV in My Arms. And I finished it 10 years ago, but I never liked a certain line. It just didn't seem right, but I couldn't finish it. I mean, I couldn't. The song didn't have a clue. It's like, I think this is what we, I mean mean this. I really do kind of talk to the songs like this. Like, we got nothing for you, Freddie. It's like, this is the best we got. It was kind of like, I felt like a foreman. Like, all right, I'm signing off on this, but yeah. I don't like this. And then I'm here at the sea, so I'm like, okay, I got to record this vocal today song. You got anything to say for this line? It's your last chance song. And it came to me. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, this really does happen. It's like, it came to me and I cried. I admit it out of, it's hilarious to say that, but it was like that I have been working on that for a long time. And I cried out of other, I mean, my, I'm a little bit nuts anyway, but I was so, so grateful for the ether and the, and the heavens to have just given me that little insight into the line. If I, but it was the song finally saying, okay, here's the line. It's like, thank you that you waited till the last minute, didn't you? And of course, that's my brain playing that game, but I learned something there. I learned something from that knife fight. Like, well, the song is very specific. It's like, I guess it's like, a, I would think how a poet would work. Like, there's no spare syllables, you know? And there's no spare meanings. There's no, you know, I'm sorry, there just aren't. Because for me, then it's like, well, that's lazy, or what did you really mean? Sometimes there are things that come right out. Like in the midst of writing a very complicated song, I will sometimes then just like say, well, what if I just said blah, 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 this? And 
you know, something kind of off the cuff and just stick it right in the song. And it will be like, well, that just came out. Cool. That's great. And then the next line will take a month. I can't explain that, but I just know that I do know. It's like, I know what I like, or, or more importantly, I know exactly when it's done or it's not. Honestly, I do. I, I must say that. It's the only thing I know in life. I don't know how to do my taxes right. I don't know how to get along with people. I don't know how to be nice. A lot of things, you know, I can't do. Um, I can't do many things, but I do know when my songs are done. Thank goodness. <laughs> it's like, thank goodness somebody loaned. It's a magical process. of and, and anything I've ever done, I've had a lot of experiences in my life, like a lot of musicians, you find yourself in strange, doing weird things to make, them, to make your nut, to pay rent, to pay your bills, whatever. So I've done a million things in my life. And with the songwriting of everything I've ever done, it's what I'm most proud of. You know, and I, I don't have a great a ton of success in the business, not yet at least, but I'm still chipping away at it. But I'm still, of everything I've ever done, I'm most proud of this body of songs because for the same reasons you described it, they're like, I think of them like children. Uh, they're born, you know, they just show up because sometimes you don't want them. They, you know, kids are surprises sometimes. Okay, now there's a kid here and the kid has a will of his own or her own and she's going to be what she is going to be. I can kind of pull it this way or guide it that way. Absolutely. Or fill in the blanks, no, but the song is going to be what it's going to be. No, and I, I my visual, and I, uh, one visual analogy, which I don't know if it's really accurate, but it works for me, is that I have the songs presented to me um, and I can see it, but it's inside a sort of a translucent uh, a crystal of quartz. I can see it down in there like a little colored jewel. And I know kind of what it looks like. I kind of have the general shape of it. I can really kind of see that it's a round jewel, not a square one, you know, and what color it is. But there's a whole lot I don't know. And so I just got to keep chipping down to it, but not to break and not break it. And that's exactly, but I will know when I get to it. And often you'll know when you get to it. Many times I'll finish a song with a line that's like, well, what if we just say this? Why don't we just, fin and then I'll be like, well, that's really good. You know, it's like, it, like the mind is just sort of, uh, it's almost like a gesture, like, well, and I, and I really do say this and hopefully this doesn't sound too great. I, you know, I talk to myself, you know, I'm working. So what if we do this, Fred? So, and the other voice will say, oh, that's not so bad. You know, but the, the voice, the, the first voice would have thrown out something crazy. And I realized, well, you guys kind of, you two know what you're talking about. You know, is this, that's a good line. Why didn't you give me that earlier? You know, like the brain really, you know, it's back there processing, you know, and, and you just need, I talk, you have to talk to it. So like, like, like a teenage kid. I don't have any kids. I don't. I'm enough like a teenage kid to, you know, but to know that like, you got to fool them. You got to tell them what they want to hear and you got to just flatter them. Like, hey, come on, just give me what's on the top of your head. Knowing full well, they're hiding something, you know? kind of thing. And, and it is all in the interest of getting the song done because I have a, like anyone does, a great fear of a failure. Not ever, maybe not everybody. And the reason it's hard to finish songs sometimes because I don't want to get in there and fail. But when I finished all 12 songs of this record, I didn't fail on one of them. Some of them are, you know, higher, they're better kids than others. Some of the kids just aren't going to college. But I succeeded, you know, and so that has helped me. I've been working on songs today, and even though it's very frustrating because I don't know what the song's about, you know, I'm kind of mad about it, you know. I know I'm going to win, you know. It's just really like talking to a teenage kid, like, you know, Fred, this is going to be so painful, but we're going to do this, you know. Like, I'll play Mortician's Daughter, if you like, uh, a song I wrote years ago, and I really love that song, but I remember writing it. I was in so much pain, 
because I didn't think I could get it done. And I was younger, you know, and I still had a day job. And I got the, I knew the idea of the song, what it had to be, but it's like I couldn't finish some of the lines and I was just, I'll never forget that, just being totally distraught. Just, the, you know, like, I'll never get it. And, and it's over, you know, this, my whole career is like, I can't even, and then just sitting down and like patiently saying, okay, let's try this, let's try it. It's like schizophrenia again. I, I, I remember so well finishing uh, Morticia's Daughter, I mean, talking myself through it and, 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 and then being extremely happy that I could do that. Go, to go from like almost be in tears to being ecstatic, you know, that I finished something. I used to love the mortician's daughter we drew our hearts on the dusty coffin lids I grieve tonight over this letter My tears dissolve an image from the careful lake Her father stands in the open door He's waiting for her There's a storm blowing across the lake It's late summer On the broken step Is a cardboard box full of wilted flowers She whispers in my burning ear It doesn't matter I used to love the mortician's daughter We rolled in the warm grass by the barnyard fence Her skin so white, the first leaves falling This long forgotten night, I am there again Stands in the open door He's waiting for her There's a ribbon printed with The last respects Blowing down the gutter And the rain comes in She drops my hand She's turning laughing And I used to love The morticians daughter we 
drew our hearts on the dusty coffin lid There's a lonely dove out on the telephone wire I turn my head and she flies away Thank you very, very much, Freddie. That's uh, probably one of my favorite tunes of yours in a, in a pretty sizable catalog of tunes. I mean, everyone, everyone's got that song by a particular artist that kind of just, it's, it's what made you love that artist. Or it's what really oh, grabbed you. Thanks, you know? Joe. And I, I was in college when that came out, and I, it's, it's, this is what, it's one of the things we love so much about music. It takes you somewhere so specific. And that song for me, uh, and I'm, I'm always curious to hear what artists hear about when it's reflected back at them, like, uh, I had Can You Fly, which I loved, brilliant record to this day, love that record. And I was in college and I was supposed to be practicing over the summer for a guitar jury, like a classical guitar jury. So I'm sitting here, it's a beautiful, it's Midwest, suburban Chicago in the 90s and the economy's good and the weather's great and my girlfriend wants to go run in the outside and you know, tied into that song. And, and, I'm, and I'm supposed to be doing this jury, but all I can do is listen to this song because it got it burned into my psyche and I listened to it over and over and over and I'd listen to the record but then I would always skip back on that song over and over and over again so uh you know for me thank you well you know, I'm 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 uh I'm glad I could do it for you man what I love about what you do it's so very real you know we've touched on this several times during today's today's interview which is uh you know for you it comes back to the song and the performance and like making the records, you know, we can talk about the technology of that all day long, but it's about this real moment of people in a room with vibrations and music. Well, you know, my 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 friend, I, I'm a name dropper, I guess, when I say my friend, but he's my buddy, uh, Butch Vick. You know, he, he uh, produced uh, Perfect World, and uh, and uh, we're in a cover band together, the Know It All Boyfriends. Anyway, uh, he's talked about working with Kurt Cobain. Uh, uh, and how Kurt just, you know, would do two vocal takes. You're only going to get two. He's not going to do anymore, you know? He, and, and he cares what the record sounds like, but it's like he's not into doing the recording. He's more into you know, the song and, and the doing the gigs, you know? So it's very, you know, so there, there's that guy. And then there's me. I get the studio and I want to, you know, be right there bothering the engineer constantly. Believe me, ask any engineers work with me. Um, I'm a pain in the butt. But um, I still, no, I mean that in a funny way. I, I love doing it. And I think that it's very, um, important sometimes to let that go. My problem has been that when I make records, I want it to be perfect, and I, uh, if it's not perfect, it's like, uh, I feel, you know, like, I won't even listen to the song, say, for example. But then, I, you know, a, a little while will go by, and I'll listen, listen to it, and it will sound amazing. And that's happened enough times that I realize I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, kind of, you know? You got to get um, out of your own way, Fruity. <laughs> but, but, well, but often you need to be in your way, but you're right. 
getting out of your own way can help sometimes because if you're not going to be listening to your own records all the time, like I'm not, if it sounds pretty good, I mean, like they wouldn't let it out of the room unless it sounded pretty good, you know? Like when Christy, my girlfriend, she'll be listening to my music because <laughs> I don't listen to it, but she'll be like listening to one of my songs. And I'll, I'll say, it sounds pretty good. I remember really not liking that, that session, <laughs> you know? And so I mean this really in a very, you know, positive and, you know, humorous way that, yeah, I know, I get it wrong a lot, but I still really am very, I want it to be right. Having been the guy that, that, that came up listening to recordings all the time, you know, that's what I, I didn't come up watching live music or playing live music. It was all about the recording. And uh, that's all that counted, you know, bending the jets. That's all I care about, you know? So that's why when I get in the studio, I'm really, really, you know, just like, oh, this has got to, or let's say in the old days, you know, it had to be like, oh, this has got to be just right or we're not even going to do it. You know, now, yeah. honestly, you know, we, we recorded in September, you know, it's three takes, do, you know, do some vocal overdubs, we're moving on. Yeah. And, and that, that you, you, the re only reason you could do that, because you know what you're doing, you know, you, and, and you realize, well, complaining about this is not going to help me because I'm going to. I'm going to love that guitar overdub in two months. Yeah. I kind yeah. of call it the, um, the Steely Dan Sex Pistols continuum. There you go. Like the, you, the, the, you pick where you are for this particular project. Sure, you can you be go. Steely Dan and spend you forever are. doing yeah. one overdub. Or you can be the Sex Pistols and lucky if you get a take. It's just, and yeah. you got to pick that place where, you're gonna, where it's going to land. And sometimes mm -hmm. you don't know where it's going to land. You just start working and then you got to learn to put down the... Put down the mouse or put down the yeah. paintbrush. Put down the, you know, put down the typewriter. Step it away. It can be really... It can be... You're right about that. That continuum is really wide because um, you can be, you know, I, I heard in watching the, uh, 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 the, uh, the Elton John documentary on the making of Yellow Brick Road, Gus Dungeon was playing the, um, the basic track for Bending the Jets. No reverb. Really, really basic sounding. Not even, they're good sounds, but just like any kind of sounds. Like drive piano, drums, bass, and acoustic guitar. But it's Benny and the Jets. It's not just any song, you know. So it even though it sounded dry and weird, I realized, well, that's some of the greatest players in the world playing, you know. And um what was my I I'm sorry that I kind of lost my point. We're talking there. about the Steely Dan Sex so, Pistols no, continuum. And so in hearing that, I I I realized the importance of the recording process to bring that to you. Because I don't think that I would love Benny and the Jets if I just heard. You know that that dry version. It wouldn't right. it wouldn't have the same impact, though it's still the same playing. So I think that it's very important to to do that stuff. Like on my last record, I made in the city. You know, a lot of stuff is on there, um, like horns and 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 strings and keyboards and stuff that really adds to the songs. You know, and uh, it's not like I thought it up when I was writing the song. Yeah. It's just it's like you know it, it was it was added. And at the time, like, do we need that? You know, like, yeah, now we do. Now I realize, yeah, we do. You need that. My need goal, that stuff, my goal as a, as a producer or a writer, of, when I go to think about, I put on my producer hat or my arranging hat, I want to make something that's accessible on the first listen so that people yeah. draws them in. But there's enough detail, sonic detail, that when they listen to it, hopefully they listen to it a hundred times or more. When yeah. they go back, because that's the way it was for me. Like when I listened to things a million times in high school and I got back to whatever Pink Floyd record I was listening to mm -hmm. and like noticed the little oof or the little 
triangle ting or the little thing because oh, those are the details that make it interesting after a hundred listens and that's oh, and striking really that balance is, is the key thing it's so really true talk to me just a little bit you know we're almost out of time talk to me just a little bit about this new record and then maybe we'll get one more tune in and roll on out of here today okay so, yeah so it's, it's, the record is it's three years coming out three years now after rain on the city the main thing is you know when rain on the city came out i've been writing those songs all through the 2000s and i couldn't get the record out like i say i mean this you know with Love and respect to my ex-wife, but you know, I got married and got divorced, and it takes a lot of time. And and it's just like I couldn't, and I tried to make the record a couple times um, myself, and eight years go by. And I realize now that, you know, eight years to some people say so, so, so long, you know. They couldn't even believe it. Like, really? Eight years? Like, are you still alive? So the background, that's the background, because I realized I never want to do that again. I won't do it again, you know. I don't know how long I'll live, but I'm not gonna go eight years between records. So this one is now happening three years after Rain on the City. I made it very, you know, I wanted it to be two years, but I just couldn't get the songs done, honestly. And I did a record with John D. and uh, Susan, the Hobart brothers, in there, honestly. That's kind of what happened. But this record was, it's, it was Neon Repairman always. And it just, it just I don't know what else to say about it, except that it, it, it was going to be um, a record of songs. The songs are going to be done. I'm a lyrics guy, you know? And I was just going to kind of record it with Dave Raven and Dusty, Wake, uh, Dusty Wakeman, you know, great, great LA players. And then of course we started doing, and now it's a little bit more of a, okay, we got the basics, but we're gonna do this to it. You know, kind of flesh it out. It's, it's, a, it's halfway between the live kind of, uh, kind of a live-ish, uh, not, not heavily overdubbed country rock record and like uh, Goodbye Yellow Rick Road, you know? It's like, so I'm, it's the continuum, you know? I'm, I'm going a little more toward the stuff because I want it to be, I will say this, the way that I got the record done was by booking the time. And that is one thing I can say about the record. I had most of the songs done, but there were a couple of them that weren't done. And they are done now. It's just like, you know, they, I never thought they'd get done, but in the, I was forced into it by having to sit at the Cecil Hotel and know that I had to go to the studio in four hours. And if we don't do these lyrics right now, you know, they'll never get done ever in the whole universe, you know? And it really kind of scared me. Like, you, you know, you'll never ever have this song. This really like psyching myself up and finding those words because the words, I love songs. I love, the, it's a, I just love it. There, there is an answer that, the, you know, when I can, I can get that last word in there and finish the song, it's finished. And then a couple years down the road, somebody will come to me in, at a show and say, oh man, I love that song. And I'll say, yeah, man, I don't, you like that word? And that, you know, it's like, yeah, I got what you're getting at, you know? It's just, I'm just a very lucky guy again, you know, a very lucky guy. I can't say enough about it. Uh, well, you're, you're good at what you do, man, and that's why people listen to what you do and why you've had the accolades that you've had because those of us who write songs, those of us who really appreciate craft, in songwriting, like that, that quality is built in. For those who really and we, appreciate crap, and we, and, well, no, we, <laughs> we we hear it coming through, uh, and that's why you know. Well, I will say that yes, it is uh, time you're hearing, and um, you know I don't want to talk too much, but I saw a great. Uh, I recommended a great um, uh, uh, lecture by John Cleese from the '80s. It's from the '80s or early '90s, even. Uh, he's speaking to a. Uh, it's a businessman society or something or it's a it's a convention and he's given a convention he's given a talk on creativity and he's really being he's not even funny he's just talking about creativity and he's saying exactly what i 
it, I, I loved it so much because he, 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 he backed me up. He said, you know, I, I, I work on an idea until the very last moment that I have to decide. Then I have all the time, you know, that I need to make it, you know, something. And that's how I work on my songs. Because unless the song already knows what it wants, it's going to need a little time. To, like Sentimental Heart, that song, you know, it took five years. But it's because I didn't know exactly what the rest of the song was about. And I wasn't going to know. But then with time, when I needed it for this record, it happened. And um, so there's a real value in, in percolating. There's not a real value in procrastinating. You know what I mean? I think there's a real difference there. Anybody can procrastinate. Everyone procrastinates. But not finishing a song is not always procrastinating. I want to say that to the young songwriters out there. It's not always that way. I always thought it was. Or I always was told it was. I, I get it all the time. I hear criticism all the time. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. everyone does. But, there's um, there's yeah, no, yeah, no with the internet. <laughs> with the internet, there is no shortage yeah, no, of people no, getting no. in line to tell you what they think tell about any given thing. Think. So I know that I have, have you know, trouble finishing stuff on time and so forth, but I do get it done. And there's a reason why it takes a while sometimes. Yeah. I, I, don't, I think what I mean is that in the past, my hero, Paul McCartney, I always went with, by what he says, you get a soul idea, mate, you know, finish it right away. Or it's, or it's going to be crap. You're going to lose the vibe. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know. I used to think that was right, but no, I don't believe that all. For him it is, of course, but no, it's not going to be done right now. I'll certainly, certainly finish the, the vibe of the, or uh, the, the demo. With, when a demo is, is recorded, often at 3 a.m. or whatever, it's very important or it's very strange when you go back and listen to it that you don't remember it like you thought you did. It amazes me how when you do a demo, when you're not thinking about it, and, so, and often early in the morning, it's very specific, and I'm so glad I recorded it. Because if I think I can remember it, uh, which I often do, I think, oh, I can, I can write that down. Remember. I, I will always, it's often when I'm most confident that I'll always forget a little bit of the groove, you know? And I'll come back to it, and it won't be quite right. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to, to a tape of a song, and I'll, I'll think I knew what I was playing, I'll think I knew what I was playing, but I won't. I'll listen to the tape and say, oh, that's a little different, isn't it? You know, I'm so glad you recorded that, Fred, you know, because it's not the same thing at all. I had to train myself. You round it off in your brain. Is what, right, right. You know. I had to train myself to record an idea as soon as I thought of it. Oh, right Because away. what I will start doing in, instinctively, right away, around. I'll start dicking around with it and changing it. And like, well, wouldn't it be cool if I tried it in this? Let's try this capo here and let's change the key and let's do this and this. But it's always that first kernel of inspiration that's the most unique thing and that's where that you gotta, you gotta know, get that down right away and, and, and i'm sure this happens to you i have to watch it because i will forget before i hit record absolutely you know you have to keep playing it you know you know and i'll be like, thinking for example oh that might be a good little rip you know i'm just making stuff up but i but if i thought about it in the morning i might think Da, 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 like do a drop a drop a beat or something something like that you know I'd, and I'd start playing it like that and listen back to the tape and realize I was completely wrong it happens so often that I hope I'm being clear what I, I hope I'm being clear meaning that like for a songwriter you've got to record those ideas because you think you know what you just wrote but you don't because the magic comes out right right then the whole I, I get the whole song and if I don't remember it then it's gone the words the words will come but the vibe is just like Morticia's daughter. When that when that 
you know, that's like a groove, you know, when the, when the, I, when the groove came out for the song, it wasn't called Mortician's Daughter, you know, but I right away knew, well, that's going to be a good song and, or, or, or a perfect, this perfect world, another example, you know, and, but if I missed it, which I have missed songs, that's the deal. That's the, I have many times woken up in the middle of the night, like thinking, wow, what a cool song idea. And then going back to sleep and it's gone forever. It may come back. But it'll never be the same as it was that first time. And so, so that, that's kind of, you have to take those in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know one, one thing I want to address real fast, we didn't get a chance to talk about this. I'm going to keep this kind of short because I want to get one last tune in. Um, you know, you've got kind of, it's like you said, there's a long break between those records. And even if there isn't, you know, you're a professional writer. Uh, where, you know, as, as independent artists now, such as we are, you know, your revenue streams that allow you to go eight years. I'm not talking numbers here, but like, are you making money or are, are you, or the money that keeps you living, is it coming from, Songwriting revenue? Is it coming well, from no, internet the, stuff you're selling in iTunes? Is it coming from like what, or, or, you know, T-shirts? Like what, what gets you through? Well, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I am a, 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 a road musician, you know, a singer-songwriter. So I go town to town with my guitar, making a few hundred bucks a night. And I love it. Um, and then I get my VMI checks every quarter, you know, and sound exchange. And I... Uh, I get by. I, I, I listen. I just make a living. You know, I, I don't do anything but make a living right now. And yet, I love my job. I'm not one of a, one of uh, these millionaire musicians that you may know. I'm a uh, a songwriter who uh, doesn't have a day job, and I'm yeah. very glad about and that. And that's a you beautiful know? thing. No, it's a very beautiful thing. I mean, I not everybody can can do that. You know. Uh, so I, I guess the answer is I just get by, yeah. but I sure love it. Um, so it's and, mostly... And, and, and honestly, you know, like when Rain on the City came out, I, did, I had a really good year, you know? I um, played a lot of gigs. And then that was three years ago, you know? So it's like, you know, it goes up and down. I, I, I could, again, I, you know, the answer is, no, I ain't rich, but I couldn't be luckier, you know? I really couldn't be luckier. I'm not very good with, with the business side of things or, you know, um, like doing things to make money. I'm not very savvy. So there's probably ways I could, another songwriter could have really capitalized. And I don't do co-writes either. I'm just not very good at it. I'm trying to learn. I really am. I've done a few. I've done a few. Um, I tried, you know, I've done with Sarah Borges and with uh, uh, Rebecca Pigeon. I did one with uh, uh, a guy named Peter Nobler, who's a writer, actually. He wrote... Uh, uh, he was the guy that discovered Springsteen. You know, he he had some song lyrics, and I wrote music to it. It's hilarious. You know, I never done something like that. Anyway, so I, I uh, that's the answer. I'm a dude that uh, uh, when the money comes into my hand, it 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 uh, uh, it it goes, you know, right to the to the mouth. Well, it's enabled, but it's enabled you to have the I mean, It could just as easily be. I don't put money in my mouth, though. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, we get yeah, the idea. Yeah. But I mean, like you know, you could be a carpet installer. You could be, but you're making a living doing this, and that's what you love. Yeah. And that, that in and of itself, you know, I mean, I, I know so many people in this People ask me all the time, my, my, my relatives, my sisters, like, what are you doing these days? How are you making this? Well, I, I'm a, a musician. You're a working a musician. And I, I, you know, the couple grand a month keeps me going, you know? And so it's like, uh, that's really just the way it is. I, though, I mean, I don't want to sound like a schmuck. I hope spring's eternal. I'm very, very hopeful and positive about my new record and i have every very every intention of not being poor the rest of my life 
You know, I'm only 51. You know, I see my friends, Butch and, and Duke and Garbage, you know, they're out there, you know, at the top of their career and stuff. And so I'm really, really okay with the way things are now. I started, I got way too much way early. I'm going to say that, you know. I'm glad I did because I did make Can You Fly. I did write those songs. But, boy, I wish I could. <laughs> I wish it could have, like, been a little different, you know, as far as how, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just like it went really well. And that, so in that 20 years since, I've learned how to be a musician. You know, I've learned how to, and so now I'm really, like, feeling kind of like, um, I know the biz. I'll, I'll never forget. You know, someone, I mean, I reference this person. She's not Debbie anymore, but Deborah Gibson. Great musician. Amazing musician, man. She was like a child, you know, star. But she's now, you know, it's my age. She's been a musician forever. And she said, yeah, you know what? People think that I was like, I just busted out by the, when I was like 15. Was like, I've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. You know? And so I always respected hearing, reading this. Like, you know, Debbie Gibson saying, Give me a freaking break. I've been doing this for 15 years. And it takes about 15 years before you don't totally suck. I only really started in 1990. I really want to say that, you know. So I'm really, I'm glad you, I'm glad the folks love me, but I'm, I'm just kind of getting my legs now, frankly. Yeah. Losing well, my hair and getting my legs. It's, <laughs> well, it's something, uh, I guess if you're going to keep one of the two, you should keep your legs. I'll keep the legs, yeah. But, uh, People who have careers at this are the people who keep working at it, are the people who are, are really invested the in it. only people who, yeah. yeah. You know, when, when Jim Lauderdale talked about Dr. Ralph Stanley, still out there just going down the road at almost 90. I, you know, I sat in the, in the crowd there at McCabe's and just, I just got the best feeling. And Van, yes, like, got like that, Van Morrison. That's all you want to hear is that they're going down the road. Great. You know, I want people to hear that. Yeah, Freddie's just playing in, in, in Molly Malone's tonight. Like, Great. I'm glad to hear that, you know? Rather than where is Freddie? Oh, well, he's working on a goat farm in North Dakota, you know, which is an okay life, but it's like that's not, you know, what, yeah, you, yeah. what you want to hear. How about uh, how about a little about one more tune before we? Sure, run out yeah, of time we here. we got to go. After, yeah, Christina, I need to go have some lunch, and you have to give a lovely Pasadena. Of course, beautiful bucolic Pasadena. Bucolic Pasadena, yeah. What have you got for us here? Um, let me play the, this song for you, called "Summer Clothes," and it's a song that I wrote basically for my friend, Jake Euchre, who, um, Jake died this year. You know, he's my friend, my first friend who died, you know? And I, I know it happens earlier in life for a lot of people, but the first person who you know and love and is your best friend, and he was everybody's best friend, but he's my, I, I knew him better than anyone I've ever known, you know, and he died. So I want to say that on the radio. You know, I love Jake so much. And I wrote this song years ago because he's such a big music. He was such a big music fan. I used to write songs for him, joke songs, or just like you know, like think with him in mind. And this was a, a jokey song about a little. It's not funny now, but it was a song about a girl who was about to die in a hospital because she she'd been in a car wreck and she was talking to her imaginary friend before she died. I know this sounds completely pathetic, but I, I wrote it as a joke, like. I was trying to over-pathetic it, you know, and, 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 and Jake always loved the song. I thought he'd say, oh, Fred, you cannot write stuff like that. That's just, but he said, yeah, the lyrics are really juvenile, but the music is very beautiful. So, you know, fast forward 20 years, and, uh, you know, he, and so I finished the song. I have new lyrics to it, but um, I was going to play it for him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want that to sound, I mean, I, I, I was going to play it for him. 
I just got it done. Anyway, it's called Summer Clothes, and the song's about a girl who is walking home in the winter, and she's wearing her summer clothes still because she's thinking that guy that she met last summer might recognize her. It's kind of a moon, June, spoon kind of theme, frankly, you know, but um, that's, that's what the song is. favorite coat lets in the wind Her favorite shoes are flat and thin Walking home all alone It's 4 a.m. and the bars are closed say they love you, but they never do She turns around and picks up her shoe He might be out, you never know But it's 4 a.m. and it's really cold Broken heart She walks against the lights Uptown 15 blocks In the winter night She remembers long good days The red The winter rain Still wearing her summer clothes Her favorite dress Is nothing at all It's wearing out And getting small He might be where Used to go, but it's 4 a.m. and it's really cold. Against the lights Uptown 15 blocks In the winter night She remembers long good days The red of a rose 
still wearing her summer clothes Still wearing her summer clothes Still wearing her summer clothes Very, very nice. Complete with helicopters here in the right, exactly. uh, in the West Hollywood Hills, man. So we're, we're just about out of time. Tell me, we've got, you've got some shows coming up, some pretty interesting stuff here. It looks like uh, if you're in the Minneapolis area at the Astro Cafe, that's a solo acoustic show on December mm-hmm. the 13th. Friday the 14th, Rock Island. That's the Rock Island Brewing Company, also the known Rib as Co. Rib Brewing Co. Company, where I played my wedding reception in uh, 2003. Your own wedding reception? Yes, I played my own wedding reception at Rib Co. Interesting. I know lots of bands. I'm a Chicago guy, so I know lots of bands who, that's like a, it's a tried and true venue on the way out west from Chicago. Uh, also, Saturday, December 15th, Nina, Wisconsin at Cranky Pats. It's a band show with Allison mm-hmm. Scott and Kevin. Is it Bo? Kevin Bo, yeah. Kevin Bo. Also at Shuba's, legendary Shuba's, Shuba's. Saturday the 12th of uh, January. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up, that's next year, uh, Shuba's in Chicago on uh, Southport and Belmont. There you go. Uh-huh. I knew I was a Chicago. And there's a good restaurant, Kitty Corner, from that place. Well, there's great tacos across the street. Indeed yeah. you do. Mm-hmm. That place. They charge for extra salsa there, though. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a little known thing. I stopped going there because they charge you for extra salsa. Anyway, and also a really cool thing you're doing here, the 30A Songwriters Festival. That's down in Florida, January 18th through 20th. You'll be on the bill along with Emmylou Harris, Lucinda Williams, Fastball, and a whole host mm-hmm. of other folks, sure. too. Sounds like a really cool event. Lots of, sh- oh, lots of it's songwriters. Great. It's an amazing thing down there. And looking forward to the new record next year. Yeah, very cool. Sure, that's coming out. Uh, you know, like I say, early in the year, probably March, April. I'm and guessing. Are you? Is, what what imprint will it be coming out on? Is- I don't know, but I was going to talk about the idea of record companies being or uh, uh, different entities now. You know, I'm talking to a couple of folks. They're not even really a record company. You know, it's a couple of guys in an office do publishing licensing. And they and they can make your CD, you know. Right. It's sort of, uh, and so you can go with that guy. You can go with someone else who who is has a whole other a, a different ha- a different uh, shop. Right. So I would say that that you know that is one difference in our in our biz now. Yeah. A label can mean many things. Right. And the product itself, almost. I mean, having physical product and you know, something to sell at shows, and of course, be in stores. At shows, and you want really nice, or you want really nice ones. Right. Like things that cost twenty five bucks, you know. Right, to, yeah, to yeah. Pretty, you know, like like a two CD set with a little giga on it, you know. Indeed, he do, and he do. But but you do so much stuff on the internet. I mean, there's no real physical product anyway. It just it's really goes sad. Out and, yeah, the MP4 world. Yeah, indeed. But thank you, Freddie. I can't thank you enough for taking. Hey, thanks, the time. Joe. Thanks for having me. I know I talk a lot, but hopefully you can edit edit it down. You know. No, it, <laughs> we'll have no problems, man. It's easy to take out. It's easy to get. Too much is better than not enough in this business, man. Yeah. It's easy to take it away. So thank you very much okay. to Freddie Johnston, also to Wally and Laura Ingram for the generous use of their bungalow here in the Hollywood Hills. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and as always to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Merry Christmas. Please be good to one another.